Congratulations. You made it to the exfil. You can sit back and relax, unpack your bags, sort your stash, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along with us on that journey. Today, jumping straight into hideout keeping so we can get after the main content in the show. It's going to be a quick one today. Just wanted to let everybody know, lots of new sections in the Discord if you haven't been in in a while. We've got some uh, IRL sections. We have a new welcome screen, so anybody that comes in and is new tells you a little bit about us, tells you about which channels you can jump into right away. And hopefully that directs folks into the right area. We think the welcome screen is kind of cool. So I'm kind of excited about that. That's brand new. We are officially a community page. And hopefully in the very near future, we will also be a Discord partner. So cross your fingers, cross your scavs fingers, and cross your PMC's fingers for that. See if we can't get that one done. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was the giveaway. So a lot of you saw this in the Discord notification, which we don't do very many of, but I know a lot of you, like myself, turn those off and don't see them all. So I wanted to let everybody know here, if you go to my Twitter account, twitter.com forward slash MTB trigger, you will see a pinned post with a giveaway of a PC that Ronald and I, mostly Ronald, built. I watched, I encouraged, I asked questions. He built it. Let's be real. But we're actually giving away a PC through the other podcast that XP Media has on the Winner Winner PUBG podcast. Tons and tons of awesome stuff on there. Uh, It's got a limited edition PUBG case. It's about a $1,200 rig. It's coming with additional awesome accessories. So especially those of you that love PUBG or loved PUBG at one point, make sure you check it out. And if you don't normally do Twitter or any of those other platforms, the contest is through Gleam. So you don't necessarily have to be on Twitter to do it. That's just where the link's at. We'll also have it in the description like we do with everything else. But anyway, we're giving away a PC through XP Media. Everybody is welcome to take part in that. It would be super cool to see somebody in the XP Media podcast community get their hands on that PC. So that's it. That's Hideout Keeping. Uh, The best way you can support us, as always, share the podcast with a friend. Tell them about the community. Tell them about the YouTube. Tell them about all the things we talk about here on the Exfil podcast. We also have a direct support option, which is Patreon. And as you heard on the last episode, we have a new Patreon tier for just $1 a month. We would love it if you took part in that. If everybody that listened to this show on a monthly basis did the $1 one, that would change our lives in a way that is unimaginable. So thank you for those of you that have already done it since we announced last time. We greatly appreciate you checking that out and becoming patrons. We've got a couple new ones. Thank you so much. And if you're looking for me specifically, you can find me a few days a week on Twitch at MTB Trigger, as well as Twitter, like I mentioned before. And you can always DM me on Discord or chat with me in any of the channels in the XP Media Discord. Whew. Got through it as quick as possible. Rado, how are you, sir? Let these fine folks know what's going on with you and how they can get in touch with you as well. Hey, what's up, everybody? Doing great. Looking forward to a good show tonight. But before we get started, the best way to get in touch with me is always in Discord. So join the XP Media Discord. Go ahead, send me a DM, and I will get back to you. The other way you can get a hold of me is you can follow me on Twitter, at Ronald Gaming. And for those of you that have been listening to the show for a long time, we'll throw that back to the Twitters. Outside of that, the best way to email the show more formally, if you have something that you'd like to get to us directly, is xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. I'm also hanging out on MTB Trigger stream during the week, uh, chatting it up with people and as we watch Trigger play whatever game he's playing. So that's also kind of fun and a good time to interact with uh, both of us on Twitch. Absolutely. But that's kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it all depends. (laughs) 
Awesome, man. Well, yeah, make sure that uh, if you're interested in the giveaway, you follow both myself and Ronald and XP Media on Twitter. That's where all of that is going down. We'll post links occasionally throughout the month. It's going on through October, but I, w- I want to jump right into it. And before we get into our main theme of this show, which is the items that were released in the preliminary patch notes for 12.8 that we didn't discuss following the Tarkov TV 12.8 rundown. And there's a number of these that are very gameplay specific, and they have strategic implications. And if you're not somebody who reads through the pages and pages of patch notes, these are the important ones that jumped out to us from the preliminary page. And we think that they could have a heavy impact on on how the game goes. So before we get to that, um, I want to talk about something that's going on in the Tarkov community. And it's something that's modifying my own personal lens of the game and the way that I look at things. But there's a term that has been thrown around a lot recently. There's a number of things that get attached to it, and it's used to prove points. It's used to speak against certain play styles or play times, and the term is hardcore. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up tonight is because I actually asked Ronald the following question, I don't know, two weeks ago probably, and I asked him, what do you think Battlestate's definition of hardcore is? Right, They even have the word hardcore in their description of the game on their Twitter profile. And I think his immediate response was something like, um, I don't know. <laughs> and it was just kind of like the end of a conversation or just kind of an aside. And then a few days later, he came back to me and he said, you know, something you said the other day I've been thinking a lot about. And he said he'd been thinking about it a lot. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But I also want you, everyone who's listening, everyone who's watching, to be thinking about it as we go through some of these changes. We're doing this on the heels of our PvE talks, what the game could be, what we're excited about in 12.8, the expansions of certain maps. And when we get to the point of talking about the items that are coming out of this preliminary patch and some of the changes that are coming, I want you to be thinking about this question. Do you think these changes make the game more or less hardcore? Who do these changes benefit? And so now that Ronald brought it back up to me, I'm going to flip it over to him and say, all right, man, you thought about the question. You brought it back up to me. What do you think the word hardcore means to Battlestate? Well, it's a great question because as we look at the game design of Tarkov and how it's evolving, hardcore, I think, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so initially... It's easy for us gamers to say hardcore is the pinnacle of whatever the challenge is in a game, right? So you are the master of that game. And so hardcore could be your kill count's high. But in Tarkov, hardcore could be a low kill count but high survivability, right? But in Tarkov, hardcore could also be time. It could just be I log in every day to get my Bitcoins. So if I log into the game every single day, that makes me a hardcore player. Hardcore could be both or it could be... Neither, really. And that's why in Tarkov, it's not a single progression of success, meaning like there are multiple ways that you can play this game, have a good time, and be considered successful. It just depends on who you ask. (laughs) And so I think that what BSG is struggling with and perhaps has even changed their opinion on in this wipe, I think since the beginning of this wipe, is I think they're not really asking themselves what the definition of hardcore is in the sense of what maybe most of the community thinks it is. I think what they're trying to decide is hardcore to BSG is really how much fun people can have playing the game. And so I think the more important question, and it became very obvious to me as I was reading the 12.8 patch notes, was what is BSG's definition of fun? Because hardcore is not punishing. You don't have to play a game that's punishing for it to be hardcore. That's only one player group's interpretation of what fun is. They like that, so that's hardcore to them. You could say another group's interpretation of hardcore would be they have a ton of rubles because they enjoy the economy game. So that's hardcore to them that they have 100 million rubles. And because the various player groups in Tarkov don't appreciate each other at all... (laughs) (laughs) nobody can agree on what the definition of hardcore really is. And I actually think that it's the wrong question. The more that I thought about this, it's the wrong question. The question we have to figure out is, what is BSG's definition of fun? Because as we're going to get into these 12.8 topics, 
the game is not going in a more punishing direction. And because of that, I think they're trying to figure out what fun means. So what do you think that BSG's definition of fun is? Okay, 180. I can appreciate that. I I guess I would say I don't know that they know. (laughs) Fair. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that I prepared to talk about the word hardcore, so you caught me off guard, and but that's okay. And I think that they don't know. I'm going to stick with my original answer, is that because of the amount of people that play this game, now after the big drops event last year, and now that people have seen an entire wipe cycle, and now that the players that have been around a long time have seen what a big player base does to the overall economy, to the overall feel of the game. I think the amount of feedback that Battlestate is getting has to just be 10x, 20x, 30x, maybe even more than what they were getting before. And I think because of that, I think they're trying to figure out what do people have fun doing? Because to your point, you said that a lot of the different camps of players or play styles or even different hardcore camps, right? Hardcore survivalists, hardcore FPS players, hardcore economists, whatever it is in this game, you're right. It may not be as extreme as they don't like each other, but certainly their idea of what's fun in the game is different. And I think that's the biggest challenge and, and maybe again, I mean, we could keep modifying this question to ultimately what it should be from a development decision, but it, it may even be how many different types of fun can we fit in this game and the end product? Because the truth is, there are some people that find a ton of different parts of this game fun. There's some people that, that find just one aspect of the game fun. And I don't think any of that's wrong. And so, yeah, I, I guess I, I do want to talk more about the hardcore, but I, I don't want to dismiss your opportunity to respond to that. I'm just going to kind of sum up my point is I don't think Battlestate knows what types of fun they want to really focus on continued development. However, I do think that there is a theme in a lot of the minor changes, the quality of life changes that speak to helping new players have more fun or understand the game so they can have fun. So I agree with you on that. So what about maybe this, this thought? I'd like to ask you this question on kind of this thought. Successful game design has to have multiple paths for players to have fun because Tarkov is a perfect example of this. At this point in the wipe, what are you going to do in the game? So you have to ask yourself, why am I going to log in right now? And for some people, that is I have no idea. That's so I'm not playing right now. And for other people, I'm having a blast. I absolutely have motivation to log in. And because of that multiple path system for how people play the game and enjoy it, both of those player groups or both of those people are still customers, right? They're still players of the game. They're still equal. And I think what BSG is struggling maybe to make the transition from is they went from being kind of a small studio, an obscure title to becoming more of like a AAA game, mainstream game. And so you're going to increase the size of both camps. (laughs) It's not increasing the size of one or the other. I don't think so. You're just going to get more of everybody and more of everything. And along those lines comes with more feedback. And so I think that because of that, the game design has to reflect a way that multiple play styles can have fun at the same time. And also the game has to present several different things that you can do so that when you get to the end of one line of game design, you can switch to another line that's still relevant in game design. And they're doing that with the 12.8 stuff. And I know we're going to get there, but I want to stay here for a few minutes because as I thought about this question about what is BSG's definition of hardcore, and I'm going to throw it back to that because I really want you to talk about your thoughts on hardcore when it comes to Tarkov. I think it needs to be started off at least with the premise that hardcore doesn't necessarily mean as one type of player. In every single type of player that plays Tarkov, there's hardcore. There's a hardcore way to play that play style. And that's going to be kind of controversial to some people and some people won't care. But I honestly, I think that. What do you think about that? I agree with you. I think that, I think I agree with you. I'll say it that way. As I thought through this, and was thinking about it when you said you wanted to talk about it after it it marinated for a while. I was thinking about it as, you know, there's this concept of, you know, people wanting to make the game less or more hardcore. 
And I think that fundamentally doesn't make sense to me because I think there are hardcore players and that has a specific definition, at least in my mind. And I think there are hardcore games. And I don't think hardcore games means hard for certain types of players to get into the game. I don't think that a complex game like Tarkov needs to prohibitively make it challenging to get into the game. What I mean by that is complex games shouldn't think like, oh, we're a, we're a complex and hardcore game, so we're not going to have a tutorial. We're a complex and hardcore game, so the first you know, 30 levels, you're going to kill rats. You know, I mean, there's all these models of games that were quote unquote hardcore for their time and got developed out of that. You know, I'm thinking of EverQuest right now. You know, a lot of people think EverQuest and like the first five levels where you kill rats. Well, that was one of the first implementations is you literally had to spend 40 hours or some ridiculous time killing monsters that were super hard to kill even at level one. And even EverQuest got out of that, which is, again, one of the early MMOs. So Some of the things that I think are qualities of hardcore games, hardcore games are complex. I think at times they don't have a UI. I think if you die, you die. If you die, you lose your stuff. And that's what makes hardcore games. To your point, there's always going to be a segment in games of hardcore players. And hardcore players are very like achievement oriented or completionist, or they play it nearly full time or more than full time, or, you know, they play it with a very, very strong purpose. And I think every game has that. When I was thinking about this, I was laughing because the other night I was sitting with my kid as I taught him how to play Tetris, right? And then this thought of hardcore was going through my mind. I'm like, is Tetris a hardcore game? And that's really where it struck me that there's hardcore players, then there's hardcore games. And in this game, it happens to have some hardcore elements and some hardcore players, but I don't think that needs to be prohibitive of new players starting or there being some sort of slope into it or whatever. Because I sat there and I was like, "Uh, do I think Tetris is hardcore? It's not that complex of a game until you start progressing in levels and it gets really fast, then it is complex from an organization standpoint. Figuring out how to move stuff and where and how they fit together as it speeds up and speeds up and speeds up, it gets harder and harder and harder and more complex and more complex. It's simple at its base, you know, you try to get rid of the lines. Just like in Tarkov, it's simple at its base. You're trying to successfully exfil. You're trying to survive. But then it ramps up as you add in all these extra layers. Now, Tetris has hardcore players. There's a leaderboard to this day. There's Tetris Battle Royale. (laughs) You know, people have made it more complex on top of this base thing. And I think that's what Tarkov is doing to an extent. It's adding all these levels of complexity. So that's kind of where I got on this. But I don't think the definition of a hardcore player or a hardcore game needs to be prohibitive of a new player picking it up. A complex game is prohibitive enough. Right? I can point to the healing system in Tarkov. There is no other game that I've played, and I'm sure they're out there, and you can hit them in the comments if there's a game with more complex healing systems than Tarkov. I'd actually love to know about them and how they work, so please let us know. But Tarkov has so many ailments and debuffs and things that you can or have to handle because of falling, because of being shot, blood loss, and they're adding more. That is a complex system. That is a hardcore game. I don't see how teaching somebody how to work into that or giving some kind of ramp and teaching a player how to manage that hardcore scenario makes the game less hardcore. That's where my mind just kind of breaks down on this because I don't think it has to do with that situation. So as I've thought through this, I actually am coming to the point where I think that hardcore is really a mindset of a player and it's not a type of game. Because any game can be hardcore or played hardcore, even like Among Us or Fall Guys. You can play those in a very serious hardcore way if you want to. There's things that you can learn. You can be the best. You can be better than everybody else. And that would be a hardcore mentality for playing that type of game. You can play Tetris hardcore. You can play Mario Kart hardcore. It's a mindset. I think games can be complex and players can have a hardcore mentality and they can go after the type of game style that they like with that hardcore mentality. And therefore the game ends up being hardcore to them because they enjoy it. And it's something that is fun to them. 
I actually think that the complexity of Tarkov and the reason why it's hard to figure out this question is because the complexity of Tarkov is such that the game allows very, very disparate types of playstyles to be equally as hardcore. And that's just the reality of it. Because you're putting in just as much time, whether it's in FPS, whether it's in non-FPS PvE, whether it's in just straight knowledge, what whatever it is, you're putting in that much time becoming an expert in that area and you're having the same amount of fun. So what really is the difference? It's just you're taking your mindset for what you think is fun and applying it to a complex game. Yeah, I, I guess I would put that in the hardcore player concept. I still think games can be hardcore. There's things that separate a hardcore game from a regular game. If there was an exact copy of Tarkov, but you didn't lose your gear when you died, to me, that'd be a not a hardcore version of Tarkov, right? So I, I think that, you know, traditionally, like I think to Diablo 2, I think to Ultima Online, I think to those games where, or even World of Warcraft in older versions where when you died, you lost experience. That was more hardcore than it is now. If you die, you don't really lose anything, right? There's all these aspects that are, maybe it's not, it's hardcore or it's not hardcore, but I think there's a scale. And I think some of the more hardcore facets of Tarkov are when you die, you can lose your gear. Not necessarily, but you can. I think Battlestate has to really work this out, and I think they are. And I think that's why I'm so encouraged by 12.8 as well, because there's a huge population out there of people that are saying, I don't want this to be this game to get less hardcore. And if you look at these preliminary patch notes, the quality of life stuff here, I think it helps everybody. But if you ask who it helps more, <laughs> I think it's the casual player, not necessarily the casual player, but the, the person who has less time to be in game. But I don't think that takes away from the hardcoreness of Tarkov. I don't think it's sliding that scale back towards being not hardcore because at the end of the day, any player goes into a raid and they die, they lose their stuff. That is always going to be there, at least as far as we know. That's what makes the game hardcore, not necessarily how easy it is to get into. I mean, truthfully, if this was a 100% hardcore game and Battlestate really wanted it to be like the ultimate challenge to get into, uh, when you signed up for the terms of service, you wouldn't be allowed to create video or content or talk about strategy with other players. Right? I, mean, I mean, there's all these things that could make it more hardcore that I don't think would be fun. I mean, I, you do bring up a really good point about fun and hardcore, but I think that complexity to me is probably the thing that is the most equal to hardcore. And then the secondary to that would be when you die, you lose stuff or you, you die, you die that's the two things that really resonate for hardcore me and none of these changes that are coming out affect that at all they don't change it in any way shape or form so anyway before we jump into 12.8 i mean that's kind of where i'm at is i get pumped for this because you know when somebody finds the podcast and they're brand new and they're going to say man i'm just getting going on customs like we had this happen this week i'm just getting going on customs i don't know how to survive i don't know how to do this and it's like got to work on map knowledge you got to work on survival you got to battle those hardcore elements of the game and find your way to manage that. It may be economy. It may be going survivalist. It may be going FPS, right? So then it's like, okay, what do you want to get good at? Because you're going to deal with the healing system. You're going to deal with being one tapped in the head. You're going to deal with dying and losing your stuff. We all know that. And as a new player, they're going to figure that out. But I don't think it has to be quite that same ramp. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And it's not that I necessarily disagree. I just think. I've come to the point where I have abstracted it maybe one more layer out. I think that punishing game design versus non-punishing game design is complexity issues. That's not hardcore issues. Because to me, hardcore is a reflection of someone's willingness to put an effort to something. It's not a reflection of game design. There are games that have punishing game design, but they're not necessarily considered hardcore by the traditional definition. And I think that they're hard to explain because really game design is a separate thing from effort. And I guess where I'm going with this is to me, hardcore is about the effort of the player and the effort of the player finding something that they find fun and then getting good at it and then doing that a lot. I think it's about time in the game. I don't think a complex game design makes the game hardcore, I think it makes the game complex. 
Because there are a lot of games that I've played that are complicated, like Tarkov. I'd consider Tarkov to be a complicated FPS game. And because of that, I would say that not all of them are hardcore, but they just have lots of different features. There are elements of you lose your stuff when you die. You know, that's a punishing versus non-punishing game design decision by BSG. But I I think I'm just going to come back to say that I think that hardcore is about player effort and player acceptance of a system within a complex game versus the actual overall game itself. That's kind of where I've gotten in the last couple of weeks thinking about this. Because I don't think that game designers set out necessarily to create a game that's inaccessible. And that kind of is where this goes with this hardcore conversation. Because it's, oh, you can't make the game easier. It's got to be harder. got to be harder. Well, then they're designing the game to not be played. And they're obviously not doing that. So what they're fighting right now with this 12.8 patch that's going to be coming out is they're fighting complexity, really, in the game design. And they're fighting what is fun in Tarkov and what is not fun. The hardcore conversation to me is a fun is a fun distraction, but I, I really think if you get analytical about it, I think it's a little bit different than that. But that's just my opinion. It's funny because you look at mine and you would say that you've gone at a level deeper. And I would say I would take your definition and I would say I agree with you on the player and I would add the game's hardcoreness to it. <laughs> so I think we're saying we're meeting in the middle at almost the same spot. I just think that we look at it from completely different sides of the coin, which I think is okay. I don't agree with that being the only thing. I think games can be developed in a hardcore way. And for me, that is complexity and the punishing nature of it. Certainly, there's a player effort standpoint on there. There are games that are developed where the punishment factor is insane. You know, like I can't remember the name of it, but there's a game that, you know, you have to like ascend a tower. And it's relatively simple, like you go up level by level and it's puzzle by puzzle. And if you die, you're done, you know, and there's a randomness to it. And to me, that's hardcore. Is there an effort thing to it? Yeah, absolutely. I would just separate hardcore development and hardcore players. So again, I think we're arguing over minor little details. At the end of the day, the reason that I thought so much about this was because of the play styles. Hardcore economist hardcore survivalist, hardcore uh, shooting, hardcore sniping, hardcore, whatever play style there is, there's always going to be hardcore players in that. And then there's going to be people that like to do all of them and are good at all of them, but maybe not the best, the most hardcore, put the most effort into it. There are hardcore players that put a tremendous amount of effort and a tremendous amount of time into this game, but they'll never be that good. Right. It's hardcore doesn't mean skill. And and that's the the crazy part about this whole thing. So, yeah, it's I, I agree with you. I think this is a fascinating conversation and one that Battlestate absolutely is working on right now and trying to figure out exactly what to do. When I was thinking about the hardcore uh, versus non-hardcore, like the traditional definitions, I was like nostalgic for Nintendo games that had no saves nothing. If you did, you know, 20 hours of progress, which you hoped the thing wouldn't shut off, like, or wouldn't lock up, we have to blow in your cartridge. I was thinking about some of those old games. I mean, would a game like Super Contra or, you know, even the original Mario where you run out of the lives and you're dead, is that considered hardcore? Because there's no way to save your progression. I'm not sure. I still come back to, I think game design is a huge piece of this and complexity of game design pushes people to play different ways. And the result of people's natural tendency turns into a lot of time investment. So I don't think that the Nintendo games were hardcore, but they were punishing game design. And I I liken that to Tarkov. I think Tarkov is punishing game design. It's super Contra to me all over again, just in 2020. So I see it. And I, I, I agree with you, but I also look at something like Mario and I look at the, um, Oh, what is it? The it's like the level designer. Do you know what it's called? Mario Maker or something like that? Is that it? It's it, there's a lot of like speed runners out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so the reason I think that hardcore belongs in the game definition somewhere is there's people that design levels for Mario through this Mario Maker. I think that's the name of it, and it's designed to be like insanely punishing and hardcore. I guess is what I would look at. <laughs> that that's the that's what I would use to describe. A complex punishing system is hardcore. I think those two things combined work into the hardcore game design. People are designing those levels 
to be hardcore, punishing, complex. You have to have unique solutions to get through them. And so I agree with you, right? I mean, the the newer versions of Mario, would someone describe them as less hardcore than the old versions of Mario? I don't think so. I don't think people are looking at Mario through that lens, which is kind of why I brought this up for Tarkov, because it's like it's such a weird line to draw in the sand, because the truth is I had fun playing Mario 3 on the Nintendo, and I have fun playing Mario on the Switch. Like, it, <laughs> is, the Mar- is Mario 3, like, harder and more punishing? In some ways, yeah. I don't look at it through a hardcore lens, though. <laughs> you know? So your question about transitioning to fun is a great one. And I did, I mean, I, and I agree with it, but I didn't want to go all in on it right away because I love digging into this because I know that people are going to agree with me and they're going to agree with you. That to me is kind of is kind of fun and exciting. But at the end of the day, this is not our problem to solve from a development standpoint, because you're right. What Battlestate can't do is decide how I want to enjoy their game. They can only develop the game and then I will experience it. And then you multiply that by 200,000 plus people. <laughs> and, and, they, and they've got to figure that out. I mean, I'm glad I don't want to figure that problem out. <laughs> Well, and Battlestate can't force everyone to enjoy the game a certain way because all you'll do is cut out all the people that don't enjoy the game that way. And that's a lesson that they're learning right now. You can see in these patch notes that they are learning this lesson is that they maybe they did at one point, maybe they didn't. I don't know. But they definitely now are realizing that there are going to be many different types of people that are going to enjoy Tarkov in many different ways. Right. And, And the definition of hardcore, whatever that is to you, or whatever that is to the player out there, is going to mean something different. And so I think that as we jump into the patch notes here, as we're, you know, 30 minutes into this, (laughs) I think that it's important to understand that when you hear hardcore, it's going to be, it's one of those words in the community that is going to evoke your particular thoughts and definition of what hardcore is and isn't, right? And Trigger and I are not taking a stand on what it is or isn't. We're telling you that it could be something else from what you think it is. <laughs> and so I, I'm not fully convinced that I have the right definition. I that my whole point was to just bring up things that I believe are aspects of the hardcore conversation. I'm not a game developer. I don't know what they think. I just am anticipating that it's changed a little bit. So I, I agree with you completely on that. Is I just I see it as a problem that Battlestate's trying to solve, and it's a hard one, man because of the complexity, because of the punishing nature, because of the amount of players that enjoy playing this game. And that's the key is, you know, you don't want them to be too careful and not change anything. (laughs) But you also don't want them to go knee jerk so hard that they completely cut off a segment of the population. Fascinating stuff, man. I agree. Well, (laughs) the lens conversation went far deeper than I ever anticipated. But we did that because going into these new 12.8 things that we learned in reading the preliminary notes after we had already discussed, there just seems to be a theme and some cool stuff and most importantly, some strategy. So as we're going through these, we're not, we're not going to circle crazy back to this hardcore conversation, but I, I just want everyone thinking about that is how does it affect these kinds of things? Because we also want to talk about strategy and what might affect your gameplay so that you can, again, we don't want you to uh, mess up on some of the economy focus things. And then there's also some cool things for actually in the game that are going to change as well. So let's jump into uh, the 12.8 prelim patch. We are not going to go over the items that we talked about in the last episode. So if somehow this is your first episode of the Xfil, we covered the rest of 12.8 in the previous episode. So make sure you check that out. But in the prelim patch, uh, we'll just kind of go line by line here. And if we, and these are the things that we didn't hit before. So We're getting some new skills, crafting and hideout management. So we're getting new skills, crafting and hideout management. These are player skills being added. Presumably, we level them up. And as you do more crafting, as you do more hideout management things, I don't know, is it going to reduce the time it takes to craft things? Is it going to reduce the speed at which your hideout produces stuff or increase the speed at which your hideout produces stuff? Uh, It's kind of cool, you know, so. For the person who spends a lot of time min-maxing their hideout or making sure that everything is running, you're now going to get rewarded for that. 
I actually really love this because there is a meta game to be played with the hideout. I think there's definitely things in the hideout that a lot of people do outside of raid that in and of itself is a hardcore way to play the game. And so I think that this is pretty cool. They obviously recognize that. And also, I think that this system is to highlight the hideout as well. I think that there's some people that are really great at it, but a lot of people ignore it. (laughs) And I think there's really, I don't know, at least it's been my kind of casual observation of talking with people in Xville is people talk about crafts to make money, but nobody knows how. So I don't think a lot of time is put into understanding it. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that's a very common thread of how to make money with the hideout. And it's changing all the time and it's economy based. You know, if you don't know the price or the history of price of certain parts that move into a final product or a craft, it's going to be hard to figure out where to make money. Now, that being said, this wipe, they have added so many crafting recipes to the hideout that I can understand the confusion. You know, there was a tremendous amount of electronics specifically. You know, the graphics card, the VPX, the the radio frequency ID, the, the you know, the RFID, the the SSD drive, like all of these reagents that, you know, wires became useful, CPUs became useful, uh, RAM sticks became useful. It took a bunch of stuff that was I would say moderately useful or moderately valuable. And it radically changed some of them in the early and the middle of this wipe. So I think it's cool that you're going to be rewarded for spending time in there and figuring it out. Because the truth is, there is a potentially large negative side to crafting and hideout management if done incorrectly. If you're doing crafts that aren't profitable, and you're causing a sink on your money or a drain on your money, that's that's a big time negative. And if you do it wrong, you can really mess up. I mean, I've got spreadsheets for some of these crafts for crying out loud, because I can't keep track of the prices on everything, but I can quickly go look them up and see how many it takes to create something. But then there's also a time factor. There's the listing fees and all this stuff that goes into it. So I don't know. I think this is great. I think at the end of the day, it highlights something that Battlestate has put more time into developing, which is the hideout, and it's going to reward the players that dig into that. And I think that's a good thing. Me too. Absolutely. Uh, The next thing down, uh, we get new bear voices. We've got new boss voices for Gluhar, Sanitar, and Rishala. Nothing crazy here. I love that they add new voices, though. And I think it's really cool when there's unique voices for the bosses, just from a gameplay standpoint, so that you can recognize you know, if you, if you run into them often enough and you, you hear that little bit of a difference or if it's a voice line or it's whatever it is, I think this is really cool for the people that actually really like to hunt bosses, that you're going to actually be able to hear them and recognize, oh, they're here and not just be guessing like, oh, I hear four sets of footsteps. That's probably Rashala. You know, if you hear that unique voice line, uh, you're going to know, which I think is really neat. Absolutely. I honestly never really paid much attention to their voices. so I haven't read them enough. I think the only one that uh, I would recognize is probably Rashala, but that's again, I think that's more a situational awareness of, you know, the amount of raiders or, you know, enemies in an area versus the voice line, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. What do you think about this new group lobby in the load screen? I just think this is a good quality of life. I mean, loading in in the party screen, you're going to see the nameplates and the character models. I think it eliminates the need to communicate fully, I guess, on what you're bringing in. I think it opens up the opportunity to make fun of somebody who's not gearing up very much. (laughs) You know, so if if you're used to running squads with like three, four or five people and you're the guy that comes in, you know, wearing the army helmet, the class three tack rig and, um, you know, you're coming in to gear up and and gear out, you're going to get called out on the load screen now. So (laughs) I think this is going to make over time people much more aware of what their character looks like and what they're bringing in because I don't think that the intent was to get people like made fun of but that will be a result of it but I think at the end of the day it just gives you that extra level of confidence in knowing like okay here's what my teammates look like and in 60 seconds the only way I'm going to be able to identify them is by what they look like right now running around in the game. So I think from that standpoint, it's not like, oh, hey, what bag do you have? Who's the guy with the Burkett? Who has the Pilgrim? Who has the whatever? You're going to be able to look and spend a little bit of time 
you know, memorizing or thinking about the unique characteristics on your party members so that if you see them in raid, maybe you won't shoot them or maybe you won't have to ask the question, is that you? <laughs> and of course, the memes. Oh, the memes are going to be very, very <laughs> hilarious with this whole situation. I can't wait. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Ronald, what, what gun is that? <laughs> how, many, how many flashlights are on that gun? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for the screenshots. <laughs> I think the record is five or six flashlights. I know I've done four, but I think I've seen people who have done up to six. Wow. Okay. All right. When we get access to this, I expect to see some awesome screenshots of the lobby screens. That's going to be great. Yep. Absolutely. All right. This next one, I got so excited for when I read this. I hope it makes the patch. I'm excited that it's being worked on. And what it says basically for your mods, for weapons and items that you move by drag and drop. So meaning you, you use your mouse and you're dragging these items around. There's now going to be a highlight of weapons, slots, and mods where they fit. And they're doing this by color. So green, it can be placed inside. Yellow means it can it can be combined or installed. And I don't know if there's going to be like a red if it can't be or if it's just going to be green and yellow. But the concept that there's going to be a UI element to signal where it can be placed or how it can be attached, I think is an amazing quality of life thing, especially for those parts that you like loot off of characters. You know, like if you loot some gun parts off somebody and it's a, I don't know if it's a flashlight or a suppressor or, you know, a dovetail scope and you have a gun that those can be attached to. I think this is an amazing change to help you understand that those are going, that they can go on something that you're carrying or Maybe you looted a gun and then you looted some parts and you can drag it and you can save inventory space by dragging it onto that item. I just think that this is a really, really cool change. Yeah, I do too, because this system of modding weapons, especially from your stash screen, is one of the hardest things to learn in Tarkov. It's also one of the coolest things once you have learned it and what you can actually do with weapons and mod them. And the system is so great, actually, in how complex and deep it gets. But it definitely, this is going to make it easier to understand which slots are compatible with, with which items, which is a huge part of getting better and learning Tarkov. So I actually think this is a great add-on that, that benefits everybody. Yeah, and I'm hopeful that this is not just a stash thing. I think this would be really cool if it works in Raid as well, uh, just for that situation like I threw out there, which again, I don't know if that's happening or not, but I would love it if I, you know, pulled a AFG grip off of a gun and then my gun lit up if I had room for it or if it was modded in a way that could accept that. I just think that I get hesitant to say the word simplifies, but there's so many parts in this game that, you know, I don't know that there needs to be a skill ceiling on knowing on the flash where every single one of hundreds of parts, whether it can go on another gun or not. This goes back to what we were talking about before. Should that be a system that's complex and you have to learn it? Or should it have some intuitive UI elements? I lean towards this is a complex system that even with the highlighting will still be complex. You know, it's not going to reduce the complexity so much that you don't think about it, but it will help people with organizing and with looting quicker which it's not fun dying trying to figure out what stuff to take. It already takes a long time to loot. It already takes a long time to organize. And just adding in more time trying to figure out if the part can go on something. Again, to your point earlier, I don't know that that's keeping people in the game. I think it creates frustration. And at the end of the day, you know, that frustration leads to checking out other games or, or not playing. And sometimes it learns to digging in deeper <laughs> and, and really trying to figure it out. But this one makes me wonder how many people are super frustrated with the inventory system and modding in its current state. I imagine there's a lot of people that are frustrated with the inventory system and modding because, like I said, it's complicated, which I think makes it great. But the barrier to entry is huge and there's no yeah. there's no tutorial. There's nothing that teaches you it besides the gunsmith tasks and the, the way that that's laid out. It's to me didn't really teach me it. It forced me to just go look at a guide to figure out which gun to turn in. You know, it didn't really do what it was supposed to do in my mind. And so I think this is just a better way of going about it. You get a part, you can figure out what to do with it. 
Yeah, and I also think it's going to draw players' attention towards the part of modding that I think is the most fun, which is the aesthetics of the gun as well as the stats. You know, once you start learning about ergonomics and recoil and bullet speed and velocity, I think that's where it gets really fun. And I think this is going to reduce the time it takes for players to get into that mindset versus just saying what goes where. (laughs) You know, because if you don't have a background in firearms, this is a bear. Man, it is rough. So I think it's going to move players to the really cool aspect of modding quicker, which I think is a good move. I think this is great. Yep, absolutely. So the flea market's getting a change. This is big. This is huge. If you've ever tried to buy five of something and there's only four available and you get an error message and then you go back and click refresh to buy four and then there's three and then you go back to buy three and then there's two. Now, if you try to buy five and there's four, it's just going to buy four and you'll have to figure out what to do with that fifth one, but you at least get the four. It's not going to error it out. It's only going to buy what's available. I think that's huge. I think, again, I'm just going to pain points. There is nothing more frustrating than going to buy 180 of an ammo type and it says 179 remaining error. And then you try again and you're like, okay, I'll try 150. 143 remaining. It's just unnecessary. So this is just a great quality of life change. The reason why I think it's big is if you're not paying attention to this, and I hope you hear us on this one, because if you're in there and this changes, and you go in and you start buying stuff in the regular way, and it buys four instead of the five, and then you go back and you try to buy five again. I mean, you probably make this mistake once or twice because you're like, how did that happen? And then you'll figure it out. I hope that we don't hear stories of people doing this on high ticket items, and they try to buy a couple and they think that they only got, you know, they didn't get it or something. I don't know. I I hope the prompts are good on this. But our goal in talking about this is it's changing and don't buy too many. Don't buy too many. Mm-hmm. Just reducing the complexity of the system is a good thing. All right, next. When you log out, you're going to get a generator warning if you're about to run out of gas. It's great. Which is great because everybody needs their Bitcoins. And when you run out of gas, you don't get Bitcoins. <laughs> I think early early wipe or for newer characters, this is a fantastic change. I think it's also great for people that can't log in every day. If you play on the weekends, it's a great, great quality of life change for being able to turn the generator off and having the reminder so you don't have to remember so that you don't waste gas over like a four or five day period. So I think this is fantastic. Yep, I agree. There's been multiple times where I've probably run out by like six hours or less, you know, try to time something if I'm going to be gone for a couple days. And this is a good, good thing. Really good. Um, Other quality of life things, there's a lot of changes to the chambering and unchambering of uh, rounds. There's also some things changing with guns that don't have a magazine and there's no cartridge in the chamber. So there's a hotkey now to unload the chamber. Its default is control plus R. There's a hotkey for rechambering, which is alt plus R. And now if the weapon doesn't have a magazine and there is no cartridge in the chamber if you press the reload button there will now be a round charged into the chamber if you have them available in your pockets and vest so all of this is pretty big changes to that one bullet <laughs> you know that that can be chambered and you there really wasn't a good way outside of a drag and drop while you were in your stash or inventory management to get it out. Um, so this is just, again, it's another quality of life thing uh, dealing with that chambered round. Yep, absolutely. It's a good one too, because that is just a, an annoyance factor for getting the one round out. All right, outside the raid, you can view your stash by hitting the tab button, which I think is great. It's just like hitting your inventory. You know, you can be in the hideout, You can be in a trader screen and just hit tab, get back to your inventory. I think that's a good quality of life addition to the game. Yeah, I think this combined with the one we talked about last week with the auto sort and stuff like that, I think it's just it's going to reduce the amount of time that you need to be in your stash system, giving players the opportunity if they want to quickly maneuver in between raids and get back in. And for the people that like to spend a lot of time in their stash between raids, 
doesn't hurt you at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think this works for everybody. I think it's a, I think it's just a nice little thing to uh, be able to quickly pop that open and close it. And I guess my hope for this is that it keeps you on whatever screen you're on. So like if you're on proper and you're trying to buy ammo and you hit tab to open up your stash and then to see like how many rounds you have or how many rounds you need, and then you hit tab again to close it, I hope you're still on the proper buy screen. That's my hope for it, or I hope that's where it's going, because that would make it so much more efficient than having to click back into the traders and then back into proper. I think this could actually be like low key is one of the best changes in the entire list because of how efficient it could make moving between the traders and your stash. Yep, absolutely. And when you have to save like five or six clicks per task that you want to do, that actually adds up to quite a bit of time. This next change is, I think, a huge, huge design change to the game. And I don't want to dive back into the hardcore discussion, but this is the complexity versus not complexity versus how people play personified. Now, the treatment at Therapist to heal you will be free of charge for the first five levels for your PMC, which to me is huge because probably, I I, I wonder what the stats are honestly, of people who quit before level five. They have to be astronomically high, and that's why they did this, because this is all about breaking down the barrier to entry to the f- people to play the game. And so I, my guess is that they have analytics internally that said that a whole bunch of people bought the game and quit before level five because they were broke and they couldn't even heal themselves. I can tell you right now that if we go into the introduction thread in the XP Media Discord, I would bet that if you scrolled up, it's like one in 30 that have joined the Discord would say something like, I bought the game, I played it for a few hours, and then I quit. And now I'm back months later after watching stream, seeing YouTube, seeing something. I think this story is so, so, so common because we don't ask people to admit when they quit, right? But there's a lot of people that that's their story about how they got back into the game. So I think this is probably a huge, huge thing of the number of accounts that were level five or less that have not logged back in after dying or dying a number of times or whatever. Yeah, and this has just got to be to, you know, give people a way to learn some of the systems incrementally, right? And not have to worry about healing themselves so much. You still got to go find guns and ammo and you still got to go find armor but you don't have to worry about spending all your money healing yourself with cheeses and bandages and all that stuff, which is what largely you do in those early levels. Yeah, I think this change alone is not one that I would have ever thought about, but I think this change alone matches up well with the flea market at level 10. Let me explain why. I think when this didn't exist, a new player that was struggling would spend a lot of currency on healing items a lot because that when you're dying a lot what do you think you need to go buy healing items right it's not the guns it's not the ammo you're like i'm getting shot i'm getting hurt and i'm dying because of it i'm gonna go buy meds so not having to spend currency on that for the first five levels i think if they need to keep the flea market at level 10 for rmt purposes i think this is one of the best moves they could have made and i think it'll be cool to see if this moves again I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see this match whatever level the flea market unlocks over time. It wouldn't surprise me if this moved to level 10 in the future, if the flea market stays there. Yep, I completely agree. I think that it makes more sense for something like this to match the level of the flea market instead of kind of being halfway there, if that's the thought process. And who knows, they may be progressing towards that. Most games that are successful have and early levels, early levels that are throwaway levels, but they're just dedicated to teaching you in-game systems and teaching you how to succeed at the game. And Tarkov is kind of getting there slowly, but that's where all the games end up. So I think it's okay if there's a gap between when healing is free and when the flea market's there. I guess I just wouldn't be surprised if they converged. I just think this system matching with the flea market is a good pair. I just think that You know, removing the burden in the very beginning of healing, I think it's just a great, great concept. Or at least just changing it so that when you're starting out, all you're thinking about is how to heal yourself in a raid 
and not that horrible feeling of like I have four hit points left. I I have no money and I got to find a way to heal. There's a point where if you die a bunch in the beginning, or at least in the current system before this comes out, like if you don't make any money and you don't have healing, your only choice is to log out until, <laughs> until your character heals or wait for your scav timer or something. And I, again, I just don't think that's a game design that they want to push players into. So I'm glad they're fixing it. Yep. And they already give you a free gun when you're broke. So now they're just giving you free heals. And I wouldn't be surprised if um, if eventually Ragman will give you a free vest or something. If you think about it, if they establish a base level of very basic gear to play the game, and that just is what you always have, no matter what, that's kind of the direction they're kind of going. And I think there can be qualifiers for that, right? I mean, it could be a currency thing. It could be how many armor pieces are in your stash. It could be, do you have bags in your stash? Like, again, I think there's ways they can implement that stuff without people abusing it. I think your point is is well taken. I mean, there's no reason that somebody under level five shouldn't have access to at least feel like they're geared. Uh, <laughs> they may not know how geared they are not, <laughs> right? But, you know, throwing on that, that pack of armor and that base AK, God, that's a feel-good moment in the beginning of the game, right? You feel powerful when you're just going. And so I, I think that's a good change. I thought you were going to say there's no reason that someone under the level five shouldn't have access to the flea market. That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to dig into that one today because I... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how prevalent RMT is. It feels like you hear a lot about cheating, and if ultimately having the flea market at ten leads to them smoothing out the first five or ten levels, I'm okay with it. I, I really am. If the, if there's a little gap in between, you know, the the fail safes and when you get access to the flea market, that's probably okay. But again, I, I think I can see this moving. Um, let's see. This one's interesting, especially you uh, you people that were affected by the, the numerous strength changes that have <laughs> happened over time. Skills that require body hit to progress are not going to be progressed with your party members. So the old the videos out there of people chopping at your legs and you taking grizzly kits in and healing those, you know, fractures and bleeds and, and healing, getting your health up to to grind stress resistance or uh, things like that, uh, that's no longer going to work with party members. Party's over. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't think that this is them saying that you should try to queue into the same game. <laughs> Not in a party. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> well, they haven't stopped that. They just said that they you can't. They haven't stopped that. You can't progress your skills with a party member. So right. You can still so queue you in the can, same game. With a non-party party member. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's not an endorsement or a non-endorsement. Just kind of funny that they still haven't addressed that. You know, I remember seeing this where I think it was you and me, I think, were running up on Shoreline. And I just remember hearing these weird noises. And it was in one of those sniper towers near the road to customs. And we're like, what is that noise? And I remember going up in the sniper tower and there's two dudes just whacking each other in the legs and healing. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the noise was, man. So I guess we're not going to be able to find random spots with people beating each other's legs. So, Yep. Oh, well. Dang. Oh, I love when I'm right. And I love when Battle State's patch notes prove that I'm right. They have decreased the damage radius. Of the grenade launcher grenades. The king is dead. It shocks me that they're just not removed, to be honest. But, whatever. <laughs> Still not something I'm going to use. I hope the... Uh, I, I don't know what the radius reduction is, but I'd imagine this will make them much more challenging to run in naked with a grenade launcher in labs and dominate fully geared players. So, we'll see. I think this is good. I think that gun was just way too easy to abuse that's all i don't like grenade launchers never have never will so there you go i'm indifferent <laughs> <laughs> i i have never run into one in game so in fairness most of my opinion comes from videos and watching streamers and i have encountered them one time and the one time i ran into them i came around a corner and got exploded and that was the end of playing for me that day and then the next day when you logged in and you found out about the next thing that they're doing, you were happy. 
because they've increased the armor piercing of the cheap ammo. So if you're under level 5, that 762x25TT is now going to be more effective. So after you die to the grenade launcher, your next, your next round where you end up with a bunch of TT, going to be happy again. It's going to be a good day in Tarkov. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, but then you're going to fall off the, um, the cliff and shoreline and you're going to die. Because now there's increased fall damage everywhere. Which actually, I think this is really good, to be honest with you, because I was thinking about where this matters, and I wonder how it's going to affect people dropping through the floor in, like, resort. What if you're overweight and you drop through the floor? Ooh, good point. I didn't think about the weight factor on this. Mm-hmm. And so what if you're you're all looted up and ready to go, and I wonder, you know, if there's going to be a damage point to your body medically in Tarkov where you can't overcome it with stims. I'm not sure, but... Be interesting to test this and see what the increase in fall damage actually is. Yeah, I think the areas that pop into my mind as you said that are things like jumping out of the second story of Shoreline Health Resort, things like jumping off of the three-story customs balcony onto that fence and then down into the forest, right? I think there's a bunch of strategies out there that are very common that may either cause fractures when they didn't before or could cause serious damage. You know, dropping through that hole in the floor in the server room in labs into the basement, uh, there's a lot of very common fall spots that may change or may change the way you have to approach them. They may not just be an easy decision. I think they're making jumping and falling a much more complex decision point rather than just, here's the most effective strategy. You always do this. So good change, I think interesting change. I'm wondering if there were certain things that they didn't like happening on maps that weren't intended that they're trying to fix. Yeah, I like this change because sometimes creative use of game mechanics by players does actually make the game happen in a way where it wasn't really was intended. So this is probably to address that. They're not calling anybody out, which actually I also like. They're just increasing fall damage. And for whatever reason, It'll now have to be adapted by the people that are doing that. Moving on, the quest to unlock Jaeger is now available after accepting Gunsmith 1, and the requirements for Gunsmith 1 have been lowered to level 2. This is a huge change. I'm actually pretty excited about this because I think that, like we were talking about the weapon modding screen before, this is going to get new players directly into weapon modding right away. And I think that's a good thing. And I also think it's going to get new players on the XP train right away, which is going to catapult them closer and closer to the flea market, which is when the game really starts. And so I think that this is a really good change. I think it's going to be good for the progression of the game. I'm going to throw this out there, and you guys are probably going to laugh at me for this, but Jaeger is one of the reasons that I didn't jump into this game earlier. And I remember watching somebody play i don't know if it was youtube or twitch but i was watching tarkov and they were explaining the traders and they were explaining the reputation with traders and they were explaining that you had to unlock traders to get certain access to gear and i remember thinking when i heard that it wasn't the only reason i didn't pick up the game then but i was like my goodness like really i have to unlock a vendor before i can even do something with him and that, I mean, that's not like way out of bounds as far as an MMO goes, but it was just one of those things that resonated with me for a long time that was so weird that I had to unlock a vendor, at least the way it was presented. And then I had to rep them up and all that kind of stuff. And at the time, I wasn't really looking for a game to grind anyway, so it, it kind of played into that. But anyway, th this for me was one of the original things that I was like, ugh, I don't like that. And so... Maybe there's other people that felt the same way as me. I don't know. I just remember this being something that I thought about for like well over a year after I had originally seen Tarkov, uh, causing me to, you know, it was on the list of things. I was like, ah, I don't think I'm ready to try that game yet. So I agree. I think this is good. I think that getting this going sooner rather than later, especially like lowering the requirements of that task so that after you accept Gunsmith 1 and then you can accept this right after, and it's not after completing things. I think that's great. I think I think this is just a really nice progression that they're adding. 
versus like kind of a weird thing where some people would be getting pretty far down in the task chain or pretty high in level and still don't have Jaeger. So I think this is really good. Yep, I agree. I think it's going to make the game a lot more smooth for the early part of the game. And I think that's a very good thing because I want as many people as possible to play. Agreed. What is the last one? They reduced the trader's restock timer to two hours from three hours. I think this is also good because, again, you never want to be at the point where you're staring at a screen that the only way to progress is to log out. If you design your game that the only way to keep going is to stop playing, that's a problem. And so I think that anything that you can do to design the game in a way that overcomes that, something like this, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that having limited quantities on stuff and timers is kind of a weird thing. You know, it's like, it's almost like this could be accomplished with one or the other now that Find and Raid is still around. It seems like you could have a player limit, not a global limit, or they could just have timers and no limits. I don't know. It, it just seems like there's opportunity in this and it's cool that they're messing with it. And ultimately that leads me to believe that they're thinking about the restock timers, what's available to be purchased and for how long and, and maybe even what limits are actually set. So again, they're touching a lot of stuff. You know, it's, it's a lot of little changes here and it's a lot of quality of life stuff in the out game. And I think it's really good. I think there's a lot of really good stuff here. I'm not looking at any of this as harmful to my play style, but I can think of almost every one of these being really great for someone that is still trying to learn all the systems in Tarkov. And I think that's a big win. Yeah, I think overall these changes are going to be great for everybody. I don't see how there's any play style that's negatively affected by anything that they're doing. And that's kind of what I like about the direction that they're going is that when you take the time to really think about it, it just makes the game more fun for everybody. And so I'm pretty excited about that overall. But I can see the green bar flashing, the smoke's in the distance. It's about time to sprint towards the back of resort. We have to make it past the Xfield camper guy, and then we have to get to the green smoke at the, at the rapids. But before we do that, we want to say thank you to everybody for checking out the show. Thank you for listening to us and the audio-only version on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere else there's audio podcasts. Also, thank you for checking us out on YouTube. And if you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, go ahead over to youtube.com slash xpmedianow. We can check out the talk show version of this show and watch MTB, Trigger, and I do it live. And besides that, we hope you all have a great weekend game. Good luck with your raids. Good luck with your scav runs. And we'll catch you on the next one. See you guys. Later.